Welcome to Two Guys, One Mike, a college football podcast focused on bringing you weekly previews, reviews, and news. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob Wilson. As always, joined by my fellow host, JT Hershowski. JT, we've had a beautiful couple days in the past four days. Um, college football has truly returned. We had a full slate on Saturday, a good game last night on Sunday. A lot of good games on Thursday and Friday night. The weather has changed to fall weather. We're a couple days away from the NFL. Things are things are looking up truly, and it's been a beautiful weekend, a beautiful Labor Day weekend, and here we are to talk about it all. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Like you said, incredible weekend. Absolutely incredible. A slate of four straight days of football. We even have some football tonight as well. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday. We've got Ole Miss and Louisville tonight. But for the fast four days, it's been absolutely tremendous. Tremendous weather. Uh, to watch these games sitting outside, just tremendous football. Crowds have been electric at these games. I mean, it's been everything you'd want in college football's big return, kind of since um, a real full you know, return, obviously, um, since 2019. So I uh, couldn't have asked for a better weekend. Really enjoyed hanging out with you and all the other guys, uh, just sitting, watching football, eating good food all day. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better weekend. So, Yeah, yeah, it was a great, great college football weekend. And we're going to start with our week one takeaways. And I think that leads me well into my first takeaway because my first takeaway is real college football weekends are back. Um, last week was week zero. And then last year, 2020 was just a weird COVID year. We didn't have the big 10 starting until late October. We didn't have uh, the PAC 12 starting until November, even, and then we didn't have many out, you know, non-conference games. Um, there wasn't a ton of weeks with a lot of good matchups last year. I mean, the, the, the beautiful thing of college football and the glory of it is, having like 10 games on at once that are all interesting, intriguing games and flipping back and forth and having a couple, you know, upsets where a non-Power 5 team is, you know, creeping up on a top 10 team maybe and they're only down 10, down three. Maybe they're even winning late in the game. and You flip that on. Um, you've got a couple good games going on. That, that's the beautiful thing of college football. You know, it's kind of quantity over quality. The NFL is a little bit better quality, but college football has the quantity. It has a tradition. It has a lot of fan bases too, which is another thing that was back this weekend. We saw full crowds everywhere. Um, we saw Inner Sandman at Virginia Tech. We saw Minnesota rocking against Ohio State. Ohio State. We saw um, really fun crowd in Florida State last night. All day Saturday, Wisconsin jump around. We saw all that stuff. So real college football weekends are back. Um, you know, the fans were back. Uh, the atmospheres were back. The home field advantage was back for sure. We saw that in a couple games uh, over this weekend. And, and also just flipping back and forth between like 20 games at once which is my personally favorite part about college football is back. So it was, it was an awesome weekend. And that's, that's my first takeaway from this weekend. Yeah. Like you said, just incredible weekend, being able to flip back and forth between all the games. And while there are some blowouts, that's just the natural, that's just the natural thing of college football. There's going to be some games that are blowouts. We had a lot of really good, fun, close games. I think almost in every time slot uh, this past week, I've seen that noon game. Uh, Penn state, Wisconsin was really, really good. I think that 3.30 slot, there's a couple of, I think, you know, there's a couple of those were kind of the blowouts, you know, but Texas and Louisville wasn't bad. Uh, Louisiana, excuse me, Texas, Louisiana wasn't bad, although Texas kind of pulled away late. And then, of course, the two night games are really, really good. Clemson, uh, Clemson, Georgia, and um, UCLA, LSU, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So, yeah, some great takeaways from this past weekend. Just uh, college football is officially back and seeing the crowds. My first takeaway, I got to go to the ACC, and I tell you what a bad week it was for the ACC, uh, but really bad opening weekend. Obviously, your premier team of the conference, Clemson, 
not only loses to Georgia, uh, but really loses it in, in a really bad way where their offense just looked completely overwhelmed. Um, a lot of questions about the premier team in that conference. And you look at probably the other four biggest teams in the conference, uh, North Carolina, uh, Miami, um, oh, sorry, just the two other big teams in those conference, especially in the Coastal Division, North Carolina, Miami. Uh, North Carolina loses to Virginia Tech, so a team in their own conference. Uh, but obviously, North Carolina was hailed as that second team in the ACC to Clemson. Um, and then, oh, and the other team, Florida State, Florida State losing last night to Notre Dame. And then Miami getting just absolutely shellacked about uh, against Alabama. Now, the question is, how much of that is Miami and how much of that is just Alabama being fantastic? But really kind of across the boards, I think the four teams in the ACC – um, that has some of the most promise, the most upside this year, and Florida State, Clemson, Miami, and North Carolina all losing on opening weekend. So um, I really feel like the ACC kind of took it on the chin this week, uh, a really bad opening week for them, and kind of where this guy, obviously Clemson's going to be probably the team that comes out of this conference, um, but really kind of the natural perception of this conference uh, is right on level with the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 also had a bad week. I mean, the Pac-12, you could honestly argue, was maybe even worse. Oregon does win against Fresno State, but doesn't look super convincing. Oregon State loses uh, to Purdue. Washington loses to Montana at home, an FCS opponent that they beat by like 60 points just a couple of years ago. Stanford losing uh, as well. Um, looks like the Pac-12 North really struggled. Oregon was the only team in that conference to win. Uh, but the Pac-12 South did do pretty, pretty okay. Uh, UCLA is probably the one exception to the Pac-12 being uh, having a bad weekend um, and then beating LSU. So uh, those two conferences who've probably seen as two of the, probably the two of the weaker of the power five conferences uh, did nothing this past weekend to, to change that perception. Yeah, you're not wrong. It was a bad weekend for the PAC 12 and the ACC, a bad start to the Alliance maybe. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was ugly. And that kind of ties into my, my other takeaway, which was the FCS and the group of five kind of went off this weekend. I don't have every score written down, but you rattled through a couple of them there. Uh, Montana losing to Washington. That's one of the bigger upsets we've seen in college football really in a long time. I mean, maybe we look back at the end of the year and it's not that big. Washington has a bad year, but people were talking about Washington being really solid this year under Jimmy Lake in his first non-COVID offseason. And um, to start this way, to lose to Montana is really bad. They have to travel to Michigan um, next week. That's going to be a tough game, obviously. Michigan looked all right this weekend and um, – yeah, that's going to be a big bounce back opportunity for them. We'll see what happens there. But, but yeah, the FCF showed off a little bit this weekend. So did the non-power five. BYU beat Arizona. Um, we also saw, what was the big one? Oh, yeah, East Tennessee State University beats Vanderbilt by 20. An FCS program beating an SEC team by 20 points. Um, we saw, you know, a couple other close games where they did, the FCS team didn't quite get the job done. We saw Missouri State narrowly lose to Oklahoma State. I want to say an FCS team lost to Mississippi State by one point, um, nearly beat another SEC team. Uh, we saw, you know, Fresno State nearly beat Oregon, like you touched on. A couple other teams, um, Central Michigan nearly beat Missouri in the SEC. It was a really good weekend for, for um, you know, non-Power 5 football, the FCS and the Group of Five in general. And that was a big takeaway for me. I don't really know what it was this weekend, but I think a lot of that is just week one jitters week one nerves, you know, we talk about week one in college football, it's always tough to get out of the gates. We kind of saw that from everyone, but Alabama this weekend, it's tough to win football games, but credit to the teams that did escape alive and didn't lose their game. But, but yeah, it was a great weekend for the FCS and also the, the, um, you know, group of five. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A great weekend for the FCS, uh, for group of five programs and for, um, 
and for those independents. And I think that kind of goes along with what we've talked about in some podcasts pre previewing the season that these group of five, these FCS teams, they're bringing back a lot of super seniors, a lot of guys who have a lot of experience because these guys aren't projected to go to the NFL draft. And so they think if I can play in another college for another year and they're the best players on the team, I'm going to come back and have an additional year. And so I think you have some deeper rosters in the group of five, some deeper rosters in the FCS compared to those power five conferences that are still losing their premier talent um, to the NFL draft or, or just moving on. So a uh, great, great point by you. Uh, I would think I'm trying to think of what another one of my takeaways um, want to be where I want to go specifically. Um, I think I'm just going to go with the tried and true, the basic, um, you know, you can call me cliche, uh, but I think we really learned this week that everyone is chasing Alabama. I think that's probably one of my other big takeaways from this past weekend. They looked really great on both sides of the ball. I'm still holding out a little bit. I think that could partially be, I think Miami was quite overrated. Um, if you look at Miami against Clemson last year, a pretty similar Miami team against Clemson last year is a pretty similar scoreline. And also just the way the game played out. Uh, Miami was really never in that game against Clemson last year, uh, but really good from a really impressive performance from Alabama. And they look pretty much complete on both sides of the ball already. When you're looking at all the other, a lot of the other teams, Ohio state doesn't look completely settled on the defensive end. Same with Oklahoma and then Georgia and Clemson are actually on the opposite. While they look really solid on the defensive side of the ball, um, you can see that both those programs have struggling on the offensive side. Uh, and so Alabama of those five teams is really the only team last week that looked really complete on both sides of the ball. Um, they look really impressive against Miami. Bryce Young just seemed to fit into that system perfectly. Um, he was really accurate with his football and the down the field throws. I was really impressed by that as well. Uh, but Alabama, I think, is the team to chase this year. Um, and it's going to be a competition as to whether anyone can catch them by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, there's five teams in college football that are clearly better than the rest. And out of those five, there's one team that is looking a lot better than those other four. And like you mentioned, that's Alabama. It was another one of my takeaways. They looked really good this weekend. Bryce Young, um, it was also a big weekend for Alabama just to see Bryce Young actually play a game and see that, yes, he is the guy you thought he was. Yes, he's going to be solid this year. Yes, he more than easily has the potential to lead this team to a national championship. And then you look at the other teams, Ohio State, um, they struggled on defense a bit, uh, although that offense is humming. It's going to be really, really good if um, C.J. Stroud can can get it under control a little bit. Um, Clemson, they lose this weekend, can't score a touchdown. Georgia, yes, they beat Clemson. That's a really good result. Yes, they have a really good defense, but you need offense and in college football nowadays. So that's also a concern. And then finally, number two, Oklahoma. Um, you know, you need defense. Just like you need offense, you also do need defense to win, especially in the playoffs. We've seen that with them. Under Lincoln Riley, you need to have a good defense to, to win, especially in the college football playoff. And yeah, it's only week one. Maybe they'll get it together, but giving up 35 points to two lanes, not a good way to start. So I'm with you. Alabama has a clear gap between them and the rest of college football right now. And that will be something to keep an eye on as the year goes on. So my final takeaway and maybe the final between us two is low scoring football is here. I love it. Um, Georgia, the biggest game of the weekend, beats Clemson 10 to three. We also see um, Penn State take down Wisconsin 16 to 10. And I love low scoring football. I know other people don't like it. I don't want to see it every single weekend. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want this to be 12 straight weeks of low scoring football, but for week one, um, especially, you know, there's a lot of good defense in both of those games, in my opinion, too, um, especially towards the red zone in that Wisconsin Penn state game, which I think is exciting. I love to see turnovers in the red zone. It's fun. Um, other people just think that thinks it looks sloppy. It's not that fun, but but I like it. Low scoring football was here this weekend and a couple games, including, you know, not just those two games. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I love to see a defensive struggle every once in a while. 
Yeah, I, I like. I don't like those games where teams are just going up and down scoring um, and sharing touchdowns every other possession. I like, you know, um, you know, defense making stops, big defensive turnovers, or what can turn into points. I, I I like those games more than I like shootouts. I would rather watch. I'd rather go back and watch, um, you know, Penn State and Wisconsin play to a sixteen ten game, um, where big plays matter and interceptions matter than. I do want to watch maybe an Oklahoma and Texas tech game where it's, you know, 55, 45 and you know, teams are sharing touchdowns at the end of the game. So that's just my personal preference. Um, obviously there's probably a happy medium between both of those two extremes, but uh, yeah, it was nice to see back. And again, we've always talked about um, week one, especially in college football. There's a lot of unders just because those offenses are still kind of shaking off all the rust. You know, a lot of offense in football is about timing and rhythm and, and not all that stuff is expected to be humming week one. So uh, definitely uh, expect to see that uh, probably my last takeaway. It's not really a big one either. It's not really, especially anything about week one, just kind of uh, something I've been noticing of football as a whole, but I got to say the days of, you know, a new coach coming in and he quote unquote needs two or three years to get his guys in uh, those days are over. You can get a roster of players you like through the transfer portal nowadays. And the two great examples of that this past weekend were Michigan state who just two years ago, it felt like their program was decimated after Mark D'Antonio basically quit right before the, um, right before the, the new signing period happened up and Mel Tucker comes in and he brings in 20 transfers to the program this year. And they go up to go up to Northwestern. Not only do they win by 17, but they looked by looked by the looked by far the better team than Northwestern. Yes. It's a Northwestern team that you and I are both down on. They lost a lot of production from last year, but still the returning big 10 West champions. And they were by far the better team. They looked more impressive. Um, they're running back that just went off in that game. I can't remember his name, but he's a transfer coming in. And then Florida State's the other team. Florida State um, pushed Notre Dame last night um, all the way into overtime. Had a chance to win that game on a, uh, on a couple of occasions if they would, you know, if their kicker had made their kick um, in overtime. So, uh, and so Florida State's another one of those programs that was elevated by a number of some high-profile transfers coming in. They had two players from South Carolina one player from Georgia. And so we're now seeing that if, especially these really good coaches who can use the transfer portal effectively, um, we're seeing a lot of programs being able to have quicker turnarounds than, than they usually have in the past when you have to get those guys through recruits. All right. We're going to move over to our big game recaps, touch on this game a little bit, but really nowhere else to start besides a top five matchup. We had number five, Georgia beating number three, Clemson 10 to three in that low scoring game. Like I mentioned, um, Georgia covers, you know, plus three against Clemson here, wins the game. A bad, bad start to the season for Clemson. Um, not only do they lose a big game, lose really their only big game of the season, but they do it in pretty ugly fashion, as you mentioned earlier. And um, it just wasn't a pretty game for them. They get three points. They don't score a touchdown this entire game. DJU, he looks pretty bad in this game, 19 to 37 for 178 yards, zero touchdowns, obviously, and one interception. He didn't look great. The offensive line didn't look great. He did not have a lot of time back there to throw. Um, you know, people have kind of mentioned that on other podcasts that Clemson's never really had a great offensive line ever since since Dabo's been there. That's been a spot that he struggled at, been a spot that they've struggled to recruit at. Ohio State exposed that a little bit last year in the, the semifinal game, and we saw that again here against Georgia. I mean, Clemson's on a losing streak now. They've lost two games in a row. Um they're kind of reeling a bit. They have a really easy schedule to make up for the fact that they're reeling a bit right now. Their next 11 games are all pretty easy. Um, they avoid North Carolina, which is nice. And, and the AC, ACC in general, like you mentioned earlier, is, is not looking good, but this is an ugly game. I know Georgia's a good defense, but you've got to find a way to score a couple points, especially in a game like this. Um, but yeah, Clemson is, is, you know, trying to rebuild a little bit. They're losing a lot of talent. 
Um, and obviously they're losing Trevor Lawrence, who is an absolute star, absolute stud. And he kind of, there's some mention and some, some people talking about the fact that maybe, maybe just maybe Trevor Lawrence had this team on his back the past three, three seasons and was carrying them to greater things than maybe they should have been. I don't know for sure if that's the case, but through three games of DJU, it kind of looks like that. We mentioned in the off season, everyone was talking about DJU. He's getting his Dr. Pepper endorsements. He's all hyped up. Everyone's talking about he's going to be the best QB this year with Spencer Rattler. And I, you and me both, I think we're kind of, you know, saying, hold up. This guy's played two games. He lost one of those games. He looked pretty bad against Boston college. His stats were decent. Yes. But you know, I mean, this is kind of what I expected. He's still young. This is a big game and, and it showed he it struggled. It didn't help that his offensive line was bad, but he struggled and it showed um, in terms of the game, this game really, I mean, both of these teams scored three points on offense. It was, it was pretty ugly at times, but this game came down to one play. That was the second quarter. DJ threw an interception. Um, and that interception was taken 74 yards to the house for Georgia. They went up 7-0 with that and never looked back. They, they found a way to win this game 10-0. They went up 10-0. Uh, late field goal for Clemson to maybe give them some hope as a one-score game, but they were never able to get that touchdown they needed. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not not good for, for Clemson. It will be interesting to see if they can bounce back. I think it's very possible because of how bad the schedule is. And maybe we can get into this at a later date. But, you know, there's an argument that Clemson could, could win the next 12 straight games and not get into the playoff with how bad the ACC is. Yeah, it's something that we'll have to continue to keep an eye on and something to continue to evaluate as you move forward. Um, and people who have followed this podcast know my prediction this year that the four teams that we're going to get into the playoff were you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Georgia. And a lot of the reasons that I picked Georgia um, to beat Clemson was is I thought if Georgia wins this game, which I thought they would and they did, that you know they could probably run the table. Their schedule for after this game is super easy until they get well, – the only tough team on their schedule left is Florida – um, they avoid Alabama from the West. Uh, and so until they get to the SEC championship game, it's a pretty breeze. And even if I think they lose to Alabama in that SEC championship game, they would get in over a 12 and one, um, Clemson team who won the ACC. Um, of course that's yet to be seen. We don't want to project that. Um, but I think this really sets up for potential uh, of Clemson to be left out of the playoff. And that's because their strength of schedule, uh, in the ACC is bad. Um, I think, I think we've talked earlier in the past, they avoid North Carolina, who's really the only other, decent team in the ACC. Um, and so without getting that potential top 25 win, uh, they could go this entire season without a top 25 win. Um, and that's where that, that's a real indictment, I think, especially when you not only lost, but they looked really bad in this game. So getting kind of back into the game, they looked really bad in this game. Uh, their offense looked abysmal. And I get, I know that they're going up against, you know, uh, Georgia and Georgia's known for their defense under Kirby smart, uh, but they couldn't block up front. Their receivers couldn't get separation. And even when they did, I feel like DJ didn't have the arm strength and, and the timing to get the balls out to the receivers. And of course, you know, he's being measured up against Trevor Lawrence and no one's going to be Trevor Lawrence. And I think this is important for you and I as Ohio State fans. CJ Stroud is not going to be Justin Fields. Those were two generational type talents who happened to just be in the same class. Uh, and you can't expect him to be Trevor Lawrence, but you could definitely tell um, that Trevor Lawrence has covered up a lot of holes in Clemson's offense the past two years. You know, they couldn't block effectively up front, um, but Trevor Lawrence actually was pretty strong, tall, good with his legs, was able to avoid pressure. Um, and then, of course, Trevor had really good timing with his receivers and the arm strength to get the ball into tight windows. DJU doesn't have those type of doesn't – ha doesn't have those intangibles um, to be able to cover up those holes that Clemson has in their offense right now. And so, of course, they've got the entire season to fix this, um, but their offensive line – 
if they play in any more marquee matchups, their offensive line is going to be seriously undermatched. Um, you know, Georgia's defensive line is, is good. It's not outstanding. It's not, I don't even think it's Alabama's defensive line. Um, so I think this Clemson team has a lot of worry going forward. Um, and so we'll see. And again, so but they kind of get on the back to this, but it's getting into Georgia while Georgia won this game. I'm not coming out of this game, super impressed with them. You know, they scored three offensive points in this game. And it's not like they were, you know, the more impressive team on offense. I think they're a little bit better. They outgained Clemson 256 to 180. I think they, they put together a couple of longer drives than Clemson did. They just couldn't finish those drives off. Uh, but they were the ones who had the benefit of a defensive touchdown. And if you flip these role, if you flip the kind of the reverse roles here, if Clemson was the one with the pick six and they went 10-3, we're probably talking, we're having, we're probably talking about the same talking points with Georgia. You know, they, they couldn't get anything going up front. You know, they couldn't protect JT Daniels. JT Daniels only had 120, 135 passing yards on 22 completions, I believe. Uh, that is not throwing the ball downfield effectively. No touchdowns, one interception. They ran the ball a little bit better than Clemson. Probably the biggest indictment against Clemson is they ran for two rushing yards this entire game. You know, Georgia did have over 100 yards rushing. So I think Georgia was slightly the better team. And so even with that pick six, they were probably the better team. But, you know, these roles could have easily been reversed in this game. So I'm not coming out of this game super impressed with Georgia. I'm coming out of this game with a lot of questions on Clemson. So these two teams, you know, they have the schedules to figure it out going forward. Um, until December comes around and they play in their respective conference title games. But um, some glaring holes, I think, in both of these teams that, that they'll have to address. Yeah, I mean, you could argue it was a really big game just because of the fact that both of these teams have really easy schedules going forward. Whoever won this game, their chances of making the playoffs just shot up because their chance of, you know, kind of running the table from there on out is, is big. And, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the playoffs. I know it's really early. It's just week one. But – you look at Clemson's schedule and it will be an interesting case if they are 12 and one, and there's maybe some other one loss teams fighting it out with them. And they're, you know, the teams they've beaten, they maybe only beat one or two ranked teams by the end of the season and their one losses to maybe a good team, but that was the only big game they played and they lost it. It'll, it'll be an interesting debate. Clemson will probably win out in that debate because that's just how it goes. But you look at the rest of their schedule. Um, they kind of get their feet under them next game. They get to play South Carolina state and FCS school. That's big for DJU to get to play at FCS school, kind of get his feet under him, uh, maybe get some yards, get some touchdowns, get some confidence. But they do play North Carolina State on the road on September 25th, so that's pretty early in the season. I think that will be a big game. And then they're at home against Florida State October 30th. Who knows what Florida State will be by then, but besides those two games, man, it's ugly. South Carolina, they're really bad. Connecticut, we know how bad they are. Wake Forest, not great. Louisville, we'll see what they are tonight. Pittsburgh could be decent. Boston College maybe could be decent. Georgia Tech, I don't think is going to be that great this year, honestly. So their schedule is really easy. It sets up easily for 10 or 11 wins. But, you know, this is a team that now does have to run the table. They cannot afford to slip up. Yeah. So yeah. Did Clemson under 11 and a half betters? No, we did. I didn't actually bet on it, but you and I took a under 11 and a half. Do they get to cash their ticket now or do they still have to wait till the end of the season? Yeah, you can cash it once, once, once you're ready. You're good to go. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I tell you, I still, I just, it popped in my head. I couldn't believe that line was under 11 and a half because all you had to do was lose this game and all of a sudden that, that bet goes under, but that's not what we're talking about today. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. If you got that 11 and a half under, then you're, you've already got your first uh, win of the season. So love to see it. Um, so let's move on to next big game of the weekend. We've got the other low scoring game of the weekend. Penn State at Wisconsin, they beat them 16 to 10. They were plus 190 on the money line. So decent size underdogs here in this game. And this was a game that 
you know, if they play this game today here on Labor Day, Wisconsin maybe wins this game. I would not be surprised. Wisconsin was probably the better team. They weren't the better team by a lot, but they still were the better team. They had 368 yards to 297. Um, but yeah, the turnovers in the red zone killed them. They had two turnovers deep in the red zone. If they can convert those even into field goals, this might be a different game. But Penn State, um, really the big thing for them were big plays. Um Jahan Dotson, he had 11 catches for 102 yards. He had a touchdown. He had a long of 49 yards. And those were the big plays for, for Penn State. And that was kind of the difference. Um, Penn State didn't really need to get in the red zone and score. I mean, they did score in the red zone a couple times. But, but still, you know, they were able to have explosive big plays where Wisconsin was kind of just moving down the field more methodically. And when they got into that red zone, they turned it over. And that was the big difference in this game. Another takeaway from this game was Graham Mertz, who was supposed to be a star this year was supposed to shine um we kind of saw him come out look really good against illinois in the opener last year he went 20 of 21 something like that people were talking about how he was going to be a star and then you know a couple days later he gets covid and then he comes back he doesn't look great there's a lot of talk about how covid and all that just kind of affected him this full off season he was going to be amazing this year and it's just one game against a pretty solid defense in penn state and he goes 22 of 38 for 185 yards zero touchdowns two picks and the stat line isn't great, but also if you watch this game, he was not great. The way he throws a ball just isn't great. It's kind of ugly. He's not as fast as I thought he'd be. He's not able to get out of the pocket that well. He just didn't look that good. Neither quarterback in this game honestly looked that, that good. This game was kind of sloppy quarterback play-wise. Sean Clifford, his stats turned out a little bit better, but besides those couple long throws down the field, he did not look great. Um, but, you know, he found a way to win a big game on the road, so good for him. But mostly it was his defense bailing him out, but yeah, this is a bad, bad, bad loss for Wisconsin um, because it's a game you really want to win. It's a game game you should have won. So so what do you think about this game? Yeah, I have a couple kind of different um, viewpoints on this game. First off, I'm already waiting for the uh, the narrative to come out of, you know, <laughs> of college football that, you know, Clemson, Georgia was an incredible game, defensive battle, you know, defense is hanging tough. And Wisconsin, Penn State was this ugly game with bad offense and mistakes and yada, yada, yada. And, and neither are true. It's both somewhere in the middle. Yes, Georgia and Clemson have really good defenses, but they don't have offenses that can – we've always talked about this podcast, you know, if you have a great offense and a great defense, offense still wins because of the way this sport works. And so Clemson and Georgia didn't have the offenses to execute going up against those great defenses. And you could say that Penn State and Wisconsin both have solid defenses, but they both have offenses that couldn't ex- execute against those good defenses. Now, they able to execute a little bit more. There were some more yards in this game. Um uh, but yeah, again, I just think that those two narratives against each other are stupid. This was a good game with two really solid defenses and Wisconsin's always had that solid defense. And coming in this year, we knew that the defense for Penn State was going to be their strong suit this year, um, a really good secondary. Uh, and they showed out in this game. They played really well in this game. Uh, obviously, Wisconsin, you know that they're going to run the football. They ran the football for 174 yards. It's going to be about ball control. They had the ball for 42 minutes in this game, more than two thirds of the clock. Uh, but we've seen time and time again with these possession teams when they play against those big play explosive offenses, the possession teams can, I mean, Penn State had one first down in the first half. They can hold them off, hold them off, keep the ball, ball possession. But if you don't finish off those drives and you let those explosive teams hang around, all they need is one play, two play, big hitters over the top uh, to find a way to get that, find a way to basically steal a game uh, is kind of the way that I, I view it. And that's exactly what this game was, you know, Wisconsin had 18 more first downs, 29 to 11, uh, ran the ball for 174 yards to Penn State's 50, 42 possession, 42 minutes of time of possession, outgained them by about 60 yards over 
for all. But Penn State had key turnovers, um, the two picks at the end of the game, the missed field goal, the fumble in the red zone. Uh, Wisconsin was inefficient in the red zone. Penn State made the big key plays. And then they had the big home hitters over the top from Sean Clifford to Jahan Dotson uh, that set up a couple of their touchdowns. And that's all that they needed in this game because their defense found a way to make timely stops uh, against this Wisconsin offense. So I'm with you. I think if these two teams played again, uh, I would bet Wisconsin again. I have Wisconsin minus five and a half. Uh, and I would bet it again if these two teams played the next day because Wisconsin was the better team on the day. They had more yards. They had more ball possession, uh, but they couldn't find a way to make plays in key moments. And credit to Penn State for hanging around, hitting a couple of big passes over the top. It's not a super sustainable way, uh, but if you find a way to hit those big hitters, then it works obviously in the end. So uh, credit to Penn State. I don't come away from this game super high on them. I actually come away from this game uh, probably more down on Wisconsin, if anything, coming out of this game. Uh, you mentioned with Graham Mertz, while they were effective running the football, uh, they did not have a passing game to go along uh, with, that, with, with their run game. Uh, Grant, he just didn't look like he had any anticipation, um, didn't look like he was super confident um, throwing the football. And when he did, that ball had no zip on it. Uh, I don't know about you. And like you said, he couldn't really run effectively either. He basically didn't look that much different than Jack Cohn and, and from what we saw at him at Wisconsin two years ago. So the ball just didn't seem to have a lot of zip. And at least Jack Cohn knew where to go with the football. I didn't feel like Graham Nurts really knew where to go to the football either in this game, um, uh, evidenced by the two picks he threw at the end. So um, great win for Penn State, though. I think after what happened with them last year, starting 0-5, they needed a win like this uh, to potentially jumpstart their season. Yeah, it's a game I agree with you that, yes, Penn State wins. Um, after what happened last year, it's a huge win for them on the road against a top 15 team. But I agree with you in the fact that I don't still know how I feel about this Penn State team. I still don't know if they're legit, but the good news for us college football fans is we will learn because this team has a fun schedule going forward. They host Auburn on September 18th. They host Indiana on October 2nd. They go to Iowa. That'll be a really good game on October 9th. Obviously, they go to Ohio State. They host Michigan. They go to Maryland. That will honestly be a good game. I mean, they even host Rutgers. That might not be bad, and they go to Michigan State. So it's a bit of a gauntlet. They play a lot of good teams, and we are going to for sure learn what this Penn State team is. They have a really tough schedule going forward. And in terms of Wisconsin, it doesn't get much easier for them either. They have to play Michigan. Um, they have to play Notre Dame. They play Purdue and Iowa, who I think are decent this year. Um, Minnesota is going to be solid. So, yeah, I mean, both of these teams will will kind of get to learn what they are. I didn't feel like I learned a ton about either of these teams going forward. I did learn that Graham Mertz maybe is not going to be this, this savior that leads Wisconsin to a 12-0 season. But besides that, I didn't feel like I learned a ton from this game, and that's for sure. So moving on, um, another big game this weekend was Thursday night. Ohio State traveling to Minnesota. The Buckeyes won 45-31. This is kind of the kickoff of the college football season. We really got to see, you know, everyone watching this game. We got to saw Twitter live react to everything that was going on. It was a fun game. Minnesota was up 14 to 10 and a half. They were hanging around. Minnesota Stadium was hyped. It was loud. P.J. Fleck was on the sidelines doing P.J. Fleck type things. He was excited. He was loud. He was going crazy. Um, yeah, we saw C.J. Stroud. He was rattled a little bit early. Um, we saw Tanner Morgan making some big throws, looking pretty solid. He's made some bad throws too, as well, but we saw him making some good throws. But at the end of the day, Ohio State does what Ohio State does. Big teams do what they do. They find a way to win. And I'll tell you what, they were impressive doing it. The second half, they looked a lot better. Um you know, college football pundits will tell you the two most important things in college football is the QB and getting to the QB. And that's what we saw Ohio State do in the second half. 
we saw their QB CJ Stroud kind of turn it on. He threw a couple big touchdowns in the second half. And as well, we saw the defensive line, Zach Harrison, especially get to the QB and Tanner Morgan, cause some pressure, cause some, uh, cause some ill-advised throws and cause some three and outs that were huge for Ohio State. So yes, it was scary. Um, there was never really a point in the game where I was super scared, super nervous that Ohio State was going to lose as an Ohio State fan. I always felt confident they would find a way to pull this out. And that's exactly what happened. We've seen this story with Ohio State. We've seen this story with big teams in general that's close at half. It's close midway through the third quarter, but the better team usually has the legs. They usually have the depth and they find a way to get out of it with a win. And yes, this game was close. And, you know, there's some reasons to worry as an Ohio State fan. But honestly, I still come out feeling pretty good with what I saw from CJ Stroud in the second half. He looked better. Um, and also just this explosiveness on this team. Mayan Williams, he looked really good. Um, we saw Travion Henderson. He only got two runs, um, but he did get a screen pass that went for a lot of yards. He looked really explosive. Um, you know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, the two biggest catch, catch passes. <clears throat> Pat, sorry, I'm like, my, my throat's struggling. It was a fun weekend of uh, screaming, watching college football, obviously. But yeah, we saw Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson look really solid. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really come out of this game feeling super nervous as an Ohio State fan. I thought this was a tough road atmosphere. I thought Minnesota is going to be better than people think they're going to be this year. And you still win this game by two touchdowns. You look really explosive on offense and your defense plays better in the second half. So I feel pretty confident about Ohio State going forward. Yeah, I don't feel super down on them. Obviously, there's some some points to work on, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But you know, obviously we know more about Ohio state than, you know, we know more about other teams and Ohio state basically ran kind of a tryout on the defensive side of the ball, uh, this game against Minnesota, which is odd considering it was a road game first week of the season against a very strong opponent and kind of a trap game. But, um, Ohio state says that they have a lot of players who they feel on equal talent and the, the best way to figure it out is throw them all out there and see how they play. Um, and so, yeah, the defense wasn't probably outstanding, but I think it was also defense. was just tired at the end of the game. I mean, if you look, you know, Minnesota scored 14 points in the first half. Seven of those came off a short field after a pick that CJ Stroud threw. So really just kind of seven points with a full drive and then seven points. And it was just really kind of a, just other than that, just in the second half, it was a touchdown, a quarter, you know, a field goal. Um, but I also think this, this defense is probably just a little gas. Minnesota had the ball um, for a long time, 38 minutes of possession to Ohio State's just 21. And they, they were able to just kind of always find a way to, to win on third down, right? It was kind of first down, second down, uh, and then third and four, maybe third and two a couple of times, third and seven, you know, Tanner Morgan hit a couple of passes. They just, if you really look at the way Minnesota played this game, they played it probably as best as they could to set up a, to get an upset. You know, they held possession of the ball, you know, they had ball control. Um, they won on third downs. I really thought they had kind of gas at Ohio State defense out in the second half. Uh, and then, you know, they got a turnover in the first half. Uh, but really just the one area that they lacked um, was the ability to stop Ohio State's receivers in open space uh, and Ohio State's playmakers in open space. So it's just the one area that they could not hang with Ohio State. Um, and if you look at this Ohio State offense, I, I think it's going to be a big play offense this year. Uh, we kind of talked about Alabama last year um, and then Oklahoma with Kyler Murray, just how those explosive those offenses were, how anytime they walked off the bus, you know, they were going to support or they were going to score 40 points a game, 50 points a game. Um, I think that Ohio State offense has the potential this year. They just have no weakness. Um, probably their weakness is their quarterback, who in the second half looked a lot more relaxed, a lot more efficient with the ball. And we say that we only completed five passes in the second half, and four of them went for touchdowns. That tells you how explosive this offense was. But they just have three receivers, uh, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, who are home run hitters on every time they touch the ball. 
Uh, they have Trayvon Henderson, who we know, we saw he's a home run threat, uh, talented, true freshman. Mayan Williams is tough to bring down. And that offensive line is just unbelievable. It's probably the best offensive line in the country. Everyone on that offensive line is big. There's no weakness. They can both run block and pass block. Ohio State had running lanes, you know, all day long. Um, you know, CJ Shroud didn't take a sack. Minnesota couldn't get to him. This offensive line just gives him time to, for these receivers to make those big time, you know, or allow them to have, you know, routes down the field for those big time plays. So I think this offense is scary. They're going to be a big play offense. So maybe if Ohio State does struggle this year on defense, I think some of it just could be because they score so quickly um, and they're going to be gassed at the end of the game. So I think it's just kind of what happened here and give Minnesota credit. I think this Minnesota team is a lot improved. They're more like their 11 and two team in 2019 than they are that team last year. Last year, they had so many COVID and injury issues. Um, this year, I think they're going to be a lot better. I think Tanner Morgan, Tanner Morgan, he's not, I mean, he's not going to, you know, win you the big game, but he's a very efficient quarterback. Um, you know, he complements a good rushing game really well. Um, hopefully they'll get their best receiver. Uh, Chris Autumn Bell, I believe is his name back from injury. Um, I, well, I did hear this morning that uh, it is confirmed that Muhammad Ibrahim did, uh, in fact, um, have season-ending surgery, uh, or he plans to have season-ending surgery. So tough loss for Minnesota, and I think that I think that maybe worries me a little bit about their their them going forward, just because I think he was he is so much better than every other running back they have in that staple. But this is a good Minnesota team, who I think played probably as well as you could have asked for. They had really good ball control, but when you play a team like Ohio State, who's just explosive as they are. Uh, you're not going to be able to keep him down. And if C.J. Stroud plays like he did in the second half, I mean, all of his deep shots were on target in the second half. Um, he had Gary Wilson Stroud in the touchdown. Chris Olave just over the defender for the first touchdown that Chris Olave had. Um, and even the one with, you know, Travion Henderson, you know, to be able to just get that ball over the lineman uh, and leading Travion Henderson into space so he could catch that ball running full speed. I think he was just much more on time and on target in the second half. And if he plays like that, uh, this team's going to score 40 points and they're going to have big play touchdowns uh, no matter who they play against. Yeah. I, um, you kind of mentioned a lot there and in terms of Ohio state going forward, they do play Oregon next week. We saw Oregon struggle a bit with Fresno state this week. Um, you know, as for, for as much as Ohio state struggled on the road, they still win by 14. They still look really good. They still look really explosive. And now they're going back home. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. They're going to be playing an Oregon team that kind of struggled out the gate there against Fresno state. Um, also lost a really big player in Thibodeau, it looks like. So I feel pretty confident that Ohio State's going to find a way to win that game. And I won't be surprised if C.J. Stroud looks better and they win that game, maybe somewhat comfortably, maybe by two to three touchdowns. But, but we'll see. In terms of Minnesota going forward, you mentioned it. I didn't realize until you said it. Ibrahim um, is out for the season. That is a huge loss. Just watching him in that game, he was explosive. He was electric. When he left the game, that was a big turning point in terms of Ohio State's defense, too. They were struggling to stop him. Him coming out was was big. High State still would have lost that game if he wouldn't have came, or High State still would have won that game if he wouldn't have came out. But, but don't get me wrong, that was a huge loss for them. And if he is indeed out for the season, that's going to be a huge loss for them going forward. So, um, next game here on the docket for the big game recap is North Carolina ten, Virginia Tech at home in Lane Stadium seventeen. They win this game plus one seventy on the money line. Um, I mean, there's a lot to take away from this game. I thought that it's a little cliche, but Lane Stadium was absolutely rocking. Inner Sandman, the student section, everyone was going crazy. They were desperate for some college football down there after having last season off. And I'll tell you what, that stadium, I really do think affected this game. They were electric. Um, they helped that defense when they were on the field against Sam Howell and that North Carolina offense. Um, but the big, big thing I saw from this game was North Carolina got beat on both sides of the ball in the trenches. Their offensive line looked really bad. Um, they weren't really able to get to Braxton Burmeister that much on the defensive line. 
and it showed um, Sam Howell was under pressure a lot. He also, you know, still struggled. He threw three interceptions. He was only able to throw for 200 yards, 17 to 32, not the best pass percentage, barely over 50% there. So, yeah, I mean, this was a team I thought personally, I will admit I was wrong. I thought North Carolina was going to win this game. I thought they would maybe even win it comfortably. I didn't feel great about Virginia Tech. I don't feel great about Justin Fuente and the way transfers have been kind of transferring out of this program recently, but they proved me wrong. Justin Fuente is a good, you know, on the field game day coordinator. And he, and he, he showed it here. Braxton Burmeister also, you know, a guy who struggled at times last year looked really good. Um, the stat line doesn't necessarily show it 12 and 19, 169 yards and a touchdown, but some of those passes were beautiful balls. They were floated. They were deep. He also was the leading rusher with 53 yards. He kind of had like a Johnny Manziel type presence to me. He was just super, you know, quirky, able to get out of the pocket, um, super hard to kind of, I don't know what the word is, but he just had that, had that vibe to him. He was super hard to touch, super hard to, to bring down. And he was a lot of fun to watch. Honestly, he looked really good, but this defense, especially on that D line, they held down North Carolina. They got the pressure. Um, you know, they kept them from rushing for too many yards and they kept Sam Howe down. And I'm surprised. I really thought North Carolina was going to make it a point after what we saw them do last year in, in a couple big games. I thought they were going to make big games a point to not come out and fold in these games, but they did it here. Um, Mac Brown did it here and they, they lose to Virginia Tech. It's a pretty big loss for them. This is a team that really needed to win these kind of games if they were going to actually challenge to make it to the playoffs. And, you know, this is a big loss to start the season in terms of Virginia Tech. A great win for them, a huge win for Justin Fuente, who's on the hot seat. He's going to be a stag to get this win. And honestly, I think Virginia Tech is a team to, to watch out for going forward. Yeah, definitely a team to watch out for. Um, I only was able to watch the second half of this game, but from what I'm kind of reading and what I saw in that second half, like you said, uh, Virginia Tech just won this game in the trenches. Uh, and North Carolina, they, they just really showed, especially on offense, um, they couldn't run the ball. Uh, I think they ran the ball for less than 100 yards in this game. Uh, if they did, it was just a little bit more. Um, and then Sam Howe really struggled throwing the ball downfield. Um, you know, only 208 passing yards uh, with three picks. And, you know, 208 yards for Sam Howe is 100 yards for most of the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, he's usually so effective throwing the ball downfield. Um, and North Carolina's got a lot to figure out. I think they, they just don't have, you know, an effect. They didn't have an effective running game outside of Josh Downs, who had nine catches for 132 yards. Uh, they really don't have any playmaking go to receivers. Uh, and so you think about this offense, you know, if you can't block up front, you don't have any separation. It kind of reminds me of how Clemson was against Georgia. They just couldn't get anything going effectively. Uh, and so now for a team that was ranked, it was very interesting when, when Virginia Tech won this game, all Twitter's talking about it was a massive upset, you know, went over a top 10 team, but the line in this game was only right around five, six points. So I think Vegas kind of knew that this game would be close. I think they knew that Lane Stadium uh, would have a massive, you know, home field advantage for Virginia Tech. And it did. The stadium was incredible. The fans were incredible all night. And that, that, Virginia Tech, that, that team, especially that defense, just fed off that energy. Um, you know, their offense did struggle uh, in the second half, especially. You know, they put up two, um, you know, first-half touchdowns and then really just had a field goal in the second half. Um, but, you know, that was all they needed with the way their defense played. So uh, it'll be interesting to see with Virginia Tech going forward. Obviously going to need to be more productive, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but a really, really good start for them. And, a, a, like you said, a win that Justin Fuente really, really needed, um, you know, being on the hot seat this season. Yeah, big win for Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech. We move on to our final big game recap. It was last night, Sunday night, um, number nine, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Take down the Florida State Seminoles 41-38 to on the road. Um, you know, it was a game that Notre Dame was up 38-20 to late. Florida State gets a touchdown, makes it 38-28 with a two-point conversion. 
and they get themselves back into this game. They get some late stops. They get some big scores. They make it 38-38. But in the end, you know, the better team kind of finds a way um, in overtime. Notre Dame does get a field goal that wins the game, a 41-yarder to win this game 41-38. I honestly didn't get to watch a lot of this game, but from what I see, you know, Jack Cohn played really well. Um, This was a team that couldn't get a lot going running. They only get 71 yards on the ground, but they get 361 passing yards from Jack Cohn, uh, 366 passing yards actually from Jack Cohn, who, you know, maybe this is a a guy Wisconsin could have used if we're being honest. Um, He looked a lot better than Graham Mertz did. That's for sure on Saturday. So yeah. And in terms of the other end, we kind of saw the opposite Florida state was able to run the ball. They go for 269 yards on the ground. They don't look that great through the air. Um, Their starting QB goes nine and 19 for 130 yards and three interceptions. That's brutal. Mackenzie Milton actually had to came in during this game. Um, He went five of seven for 48 yards just in that last drive. And that was cool to see. He hasn't played a game in two or three years because of a, you know, that horrible leg injury that I'm sure if you're a college football fan, you probably remember two or three years ago, whatever it was, that horrible leg injury. Um, There was talks about him never playing again. And it was good to see him out there on the football field um, to get a few throws. That was a cool moment, but in terms of the late game and what happened, I'll throw it up to JT because he watched it and he he knows all about it. Yeah, I watched this game from start to finish. It was a really fun game. Um, it felt like both of these offenses struggled to put together consistent drives, uh, but they hit big plays, especially in the first half. And that was kind of the, the story of Notre Dame. You know, uh, their they, uh, their opening touchdown was a blown coverage, uh, and so their their tight end, as everyone knows him as Baby Gronk, Michael Meyer, the big tight end number eighty seven. Um, Florida State forgot, forgot to guard him on that first possession. He had a big touchdown. Um, and then again, other touchdowns after that were just big time fades to the corner, big throws over the top. Uh, another touchdown came from a, a screen pass to Kyron Williams that went up for, I think, 60, 70 yards that set up another touchdown. So Notre Dame, you know, not being able to put together consistent drives, but hitting those big plays, which is not what you would expect from a Jack Cone offense. Um, so it was very interesting to see. Uh, but I was just kind of, I think that was also just the way Florida State played. They played super aggressive on the defensive end. And, and when you kind of play aggressive downhill, you know, you're maybe going to stop those consistent drives, but you're going to give up those big plays over the top. Uh, so I think that had a lot to do with the way Florida State played. Uh, and Florida State, I tell you, their offensive line uh, for the first three, actually for the entire game could not pass block. Uh, I felt like anytime they tried to drop back to pass, another Dame was, uh, defender was in the quarterback's face from the beginning. Florida State's quarterback, Jordan Travis, did as best as he could, I think, for the circumstances he was facing. The three interceptions weren't great, um, but two of those were just fantastic plays from from um, Notre Dame's um, all-star safety, uh, Kyle Hamilton, number 14. Uh, he just had two incredible interceptions. Um, and then kind of something weird happened in this game. You know, Notre Dame went up 38-20. The game kind of felt over. And kind of the Florida State in the past, you expect them to fold, but – they all of a sudden just started putting together drives. All of a sudden, Notre Dame came out, and they went from four down linemen to three down linemen, which is two linebackers. And the Florida State had the numbers the entire game. They just ran the ball super effectively starting in the fourth quarter. Maybe Notre Dame was a little gassed out at the end of the game, but they just all of a sudden were downhill running, and they weren't able to do it all game. They get two, they get a touchdown. They get a field goal. Um, and then in the last drive of the game, Jordan Travis just has his helmet come off. Um, you know, and the, the rule in cultural ball is you, if you come off, your helmet comes off, you have to come out for one play. So Mackenzie Bowden was coming in for whatever and thought was just going to be one play. Um, but he completes a big pass down the field. They keep him in the game. He has a big third, uh, big third down conversion, leads them to a touchdown. Uh, and so Florida State just kind of kept him in the game for the rest of the game. Uh, he was in that game. He, he played the one possession um, for Florida State in overtime, had a bad mistake. I hate to, I hate to, uh, I don't want to, rag too much on the guy um for a guy who was told two years ago by his doctors that 
Um, he was probably going to have to be anytime he tried to walk for the rest of his life, it was going to be extreme pain. And to go from that to just being able to play in a division one football game, was incredible, but he had a bad drop or he had a, he just kind of went to pass the ball on third down and overtime and basically just dropped it. Um, and then that leads to a missed field goal. Uh, and then of course, Notre Dame just kind of ran it three times. Uh, and then they kicked the field goal for the win in overtime. So a game where I think Notre Dame felt like they didn't play super well. Um, Florida State play, it's, it's interesting. I think probably Notre Dame, you know, especially Brian Kelly with the comments he had after the game, which I personally thought were hilarious, but some people didn't seem to like them. Uh, but uh, we shouldn't be endorsing that either. So um, he shouldn't be saying that stuff. Uh, but Notre Dame, um, he, just, they didn't, he didn't feel like they executed very well. I didn't feel like that they played a clean game. That's kind of expected in week one. So even though they come out the win, um, Brian Kelly probably, probably comes out of this game more upset than Florida State, who um, their fans were cheering for them after the game, even though they lost. Um, really just felt like everyone kind of knew that Notre Dame, how Florida State outgunned in this game, but Florida State was just that scrappy team that just found a way to hung around. And and again, that was just that that big fourth quarter adjustment where Notre Dame just wanted to prevent defense, just played three down linemen, and Florida State was able to effectively run the ball um, in the fourth quarter to get back in this game, uh, but couldn't get it done in overtime. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> um, not very good sign good. for uh, Notre Dame going forward. You know, they have a really tough schedule. Um, so, you know, if they continue to, to struggle on the defensive end, um, it could be a tough season. But if they can, you know, can just kind of clean up some of those things they had at the end of the game, some of that jitterness and, you know, kind of, you know, be less sloppy, execute more um, towards the end of games. You know, this is a team that could be solid if Jack Cohn continues to play like that. And for Florida State, like you mentioned, um, good to see their their fans kind of cheering them on even after the loss because this is a program that's really been down ever since Jimbo law uh, left and you know to come out of this game nearly victorious is pretty solid against a top 10 team and um, maybe some good signs for Florida State going forward and don't forget they're playing in the ACC there's going to be a lot of chances to win some football games for this team so uh, moving on we're going to go now from conference to conference through the six biggest conferences in um, college football we'll kind of speed it up as we're bumping up on an hour here but Let's start with the Big Ten, our favorite conference here as Ohio State fans. Um, I'm just going to run through every score, and then you tell me where you want to go. So Nebraska beats Fordham 52-7. We mentioned Penn State, Wisconsin. Rutgers beats Temple 61-14. Michigan, a good win for them, 47-14 over Western Michigan. Iowa stomps Indiana 34-6. Maryland beats West Virginia 30-24. Purdue beats Oregon State 30-21. Illinois does lose to UTSA. Um, Northwestern loses to Michigan State, as we mentioned. Ohio State, we talked about that game. And finally, oh, yep, that's all we got there. So I think the obvious place to go is Indiana, um, you know, losing to Iowa 34 to 6. We touched on it before the season. Um, you know, there was a lot of luck with what Indiana did last year. No disrespect to them. It was a great season. There was a lot of turnover luck. Um, there was a lot of big play luck. And we kind of thought that would come back to bite them, especially in some of these big games when they play teams with better talent, better discipline, maybe even better coaching. And I think we saw that here. Um, we also saw, you know, kind of just some big plays on the other end for Iowa. They had a couple pick sixes in this game. They were up 14-0 after like two minutes in this game. It was just a wild game. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, we saw Iowa thoroughly beat Indiana, look like the better team. Spencer Petras, he looked pretty solid in this game. Michael Penix was not able to do a lot against a really, really good um, Hawkeye defense. So, yeah, I mean, he threw three interceptions, no touchdowns, <clears throat> had a less than a 50% passer rating. For a guy who I thought was going to be solid this year, I didn't know how good Indiana was going to be, but I thought for sure at the very least Penix would kind of put this team on its back. 
that did not happen in this game. And on the other end, Petrus looked pretty decent, um, but especially that defense looked really solid. And that run game, as you would expect, looked pretty solid. I mean, that's what Iowa's going to be this year. That's what they've always been. They're always going to have a really good running game, a really good defense. And on top of that, they have a pretty good quarterback this year in Spencer Petrus, in my opinion. So they are going to be a team to look out for. I think Iowa is going to be a lot of fun. And they're already, you know, one game above Wisconsin in the um, West there in the Big Ten. So that's big for them. And I will not be surprised if, if Ohio State is facing Iowa in the Big Ten title game. I think Iowa, of course, we don't want to have, you know, a ton of overreactions in week one, but it feels very easy to say that Iowa probably now might just be the the favorite to win in the Big uh, the Big Ten West and get to the Big Ten championship game. And, and they look fantastic in this game. Like you said, they just, especially when they play in Kinnick Stadium, you know, they find a way to always win the turnover battle. They run the ball effectively. They play just solid defense. They always feel like, it feels like they're playing with 12 or 13 guys on their defense. Um, when they're playing in Kinnick Stadium and they use that home field advantage, um, you know, to their liking and they just absolutely pounce all over, all over Indiana. Um, you know, they had the touchdown, the big run to start the game and then the pick six right after that. Uh, and it just kind of felt like, Oh boy, here we go. Uh, and as much as we love Michael Penix Jr. And what he can do, we've talked about how he's a pretty inefficient quarterback who takes a lot of chances, pushing the ball down the field. And it just felt like last year he got lucky that those, you know, those put those down the field passes didn't turn to picks and he wasn't lucky this game, obviously three interceptions, um, the one pick six and just bad passes down the field, inefficient again, 14 of 31 for 156 yards. Um, but probably also uh, the other thing as well is that they couldn't run the ball, just 77 yards on 31 carries. They're leading running, they're leading running back only at 57 yards on 19 carries. Weren't able to effectively run the ball. Iowa had a nice solid, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't blow uh, Indiana away with yards, only having, you know, 145 yards through the air, 158 on the ground, but, you know, timely turnovers and then turning those turnovers into points in the first half and just riding that strong defensive performance all the way throughout the entire game. Uh, and Iowa gets out of here with a big, big win in week one. And in Indiana, for as much as, you know, lore and that they had coming off of last year, um, this was a humbling game for them. And so, uh, but this program loves Tom Allen and they're going to look to rebound. Let's move on to Michigan taking down Western Michigan in-state foe, 47 to 14. Um, a good win for Michigan. They were only 16 and a half point favorites. So they do cover that um, by, you know, nearly 40 points in this game. So, or yeah, you, you know, 35 points or so. So that's, it's a good dub for them. Um, Cade McNamara, that was kind of the big point of this game. You know, people wanted to see how he looked. He looked solid. He goes nine of 11, not, not that many completions, you know, not that many throws for 136 yards two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, he doesn't really get any rushing yards, so it's not like he ran around a lot in this game. But one of the bigger storylines from this game confirmed this morning was Ronnie Bell, uh, probably Michigan's most talented player, will be out for the season. Uh, you know, as for as much positivity as there was around this game and winning this game and the fact that Cade McNamara, you know, a true freshman, is hopefully going to be really solid going forward. That, that there's a lot of just not good feelings around that. Ronnie Bell is their best player. That's, that's going to be a tough loss for them to recover from. Yeah, it's a real tough one. Um, you know, Ronnie Bell is their, their one big play receiver down the field. Uh, and so losing him to injury, I think is just, that's, that's really tough for Michigan. Um, and so, but this office will have to move forward. It was a good win for them. Let's not get it wrong. Uh, and kind of back to what Jim Harbaugh loves to do is running the football. They didn't really run the football effectively last year. And of course, everything we're going to say is a caveat that it comes with, you know, it was against Western Michigan, but, you know, they ran the ball really effectively for 335 yards. Uh, and then, like you said, Cade McNamara, just being efficient, 9 of 11 for 136. Even got to see the freshman five-star J.J. McCarthy come in. Um, he had a big touchdown down the field as well. So 
Um, you know, like you said, everyone's going to say it's Western Michigan, but, um, you know, you think about two years ago in 2019, they struggled earlier in the year against Middle Tennessee and Army, and that kind of led into a really bad game against Wisconsin when they lost by 24. So the fact that they took care of business at home looked good in it. Um, you know, they should be they should take some some solace in that. Maryland, as an underdog at home, takes down West Virginia, uh, 30 to 24. Talia Tagaviola, he goes 25 of 36 for 319 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks. That's got to be a really good QBR. That was a great game. Um, there were some worries about him at times in the past couple of seasons. Was he ever going to pan out? Um, he's obviously not going to be as good as his brother, but was he going to pan out? And this is kind of a game where he showed out, where he showed the the nation that he is a really solid quarterback against, you know, a power five team. It's not like Maryland started their season against some nobody. They're playing a game that they were not even favored to win. He looks really good. They get a big win at home. And for a team that well, it's kind of flying under the radar, considering that this team has recruited really, really well the past couple of seasons. Um, you know, there's a lot of talent in that Maryland area. They've recruited it well. They've done well in the transfer portal, but there's just so many storylines in the Big Ten. This team has kind of went under the radar, and this is a team that could be sneaky good this year. Um, they are in the Big Ten East. That's tough, but, you know, this could be a kind of team that sneaks up on Michigan, sneaks up on Penn State. I don't think they'll sneak up on Ohio State, but they could sneak up on some of those better Big Ten East teams and better Big Ten teams in general and, and play really well this season. Yeah, they looked, they looked really solid in this game, not just winning 30-24, to 24, but – um, you know, outgaining West Virginia, they look like the better team and, you know, obviously benefiting from a three to zero um, turnover advantage, but using those turnovers effectively and turning them into points. And that was also a game where they trailed, you know, late third quarter uh, and they found a way to kind of pull through and, and win this game. So um, actually they trailed fourth quarter, um, they trailed 24 to 20 in the fourth quarter. And so um, to come back being down 24, um, 20 in the fourth quarter, get that comeback win or 21, 20, excuse me, in the fourth quarter um, to come back and get that win, I think was um, really impressive for them. And they, they look good. Obviously the stats jump off the board. They won the turnover battle. Um, and I think they were the better team on the deck. You have anything else to add for the big 10? Um, good win for Purdue beating Oregon state, um, two power five teams going at it. Um, Nebraska beat Fordham, but you know, my, my grandma could beat Fordham. So, uh, and then Rutgers putting up 61 points, um, that 61 points though, I think only came off of, yeah, uh, like 365 yards. Um, but Temple, I think had three fumbles lost their quarterback threw two picks. So five turnovers from Rutgers turning those turnovers into points. So. Yeah, Big Ten East is going to be solid this year for sure. Good one for Rutgers, good one for Maryland. So let's move on to the SEC as my computer loads here. Um, <clears throat> some of the bigger – I guess I'll run through the scores again like I did. Louisville, um, Ole Miss do play tonight. Kentucky beats UL Monroe. Arkansas beats Rice. Um, Alabama beats Miami 44-13. to Missouri struggles with Central Michigan but pulls it out by 10. Mississippi State um, nearly loses to Louisiana Tech, 35-34. Auburn runs over Akron. South Carolina beats um, FCS School, 46-0. Florida kind of struggles with FAU, but they win 35-14. Um, we touched on Georgia Clemson. Vanderbilt loses by 20 to an FCS School. That is tough. Tennessee on Thursday night beat Bowling Green, 38-6. Um, LSU loses to UCLA, 38-27. And uh, Texas A&M pulls it out. Late against Kent State, the scoreline looks a little better for than it really was for Texas A&M against Kent State, but no better place to start than um, UCLA beating LSU at the Rose Bowl, thirty-eight to thirty-eight to twenty-seven. Here, this was it was always going to be a big game. Um, you know, you kind of had 
I was always skeptical. I bet on UCLA, but I was still always skeptical that, you know, a Pac-12 team with a similar talent level was going to be able to beat an SEC team. You just always expect the SEC to find a way. And you always expect the Pac-12 to not find a way because, you know, I mean, the Pac-12, we saw what they were this weekend. Besides UCLA, it, it was rough. Um, we saw the SEC this weekend win some big games. So, but but credit to UCLA. Um, the hype this offseason through two games has been well-deserved. They beat up on a Hawaii team who might not be terrible. And they beat LSU 38-27. to 27. They didn't just beat them, but they won pretty comfortably. They were up, I want to say, 38-20 to 20 at one point in this game. Um, they went for more yardage, 470 yards to 383. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you know, the stat line doesn't look amazing, but he was explosive at times and at moments during this game. Um, he had some rushing yards. He, he threw for three touchdowns. He only got three, nine completions, but three of those were for touchdowns. Um, this is a team that, you know, decided to, to run the ball um, a little bit more. They got 210 yards on the ground um, compared to 53 for LSU and I mean, in terms of the storylines of this game and what it means, I think UCLA is is the favorite now in the Pac-12 South, I want to say, is the one they're in. Um, they're going to be fighting it out with USC. They look really solid through two games. They have a lot of talent. They brought in some people. Chip Kelly has them going. I think DTR at QB is really solid. In terms of LSU, um, they were hoping this would be a bounce back year. Maybe it still could be. But this is a rough start for Ed Orgeron. And, you know, quite frankly, I've said it. I've maybe gotten some hate for it. <laughs> Uh, I just don't think Ed Orgeron is a great coach. Um, I don't think he's long for LSU. I don't think he's long for Louisiana. Uh, he could completely prove me wrong. He could turn this football program around. But we saw it last year at a school like LSU, as big as they are, they expect to be like Alabama. They expect to be like Ohio State. They expect to even be like Texas A&M, a team that is solid every year. Yes, you got a national championship. That's going to win you over some goodwill for a while there. Um, but I, I just don't think Ed Orgeron is the guy that's going to consistently have a team that's winning 10, 11, 12 games, even every single year. And this is the start to a season. You know, you got to win these kind of games on the road against UCLA when you have all the talent you do. Um, and it just wasn't impressive from them. They, they did not look that good. I mean, an SEC team should not be getting pushed around by a Pac-12 team like they were in this game. Yeah, uh, I want to touch on the UCLA part of this because um, – I've been, you and I have been, you know, sneaky bullish on, on UCLA. Now I'm really bullish on UCLA. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, while it took him a little bit of time, Chip Kelly is finally getting into this program or turning his program into what he had at Oregon and what he wants to see. And that is a dynamic rushing attack, 47 carries for 210 yards. Uh, and then a big play pass offense to complement it. That just reminds me so much of what we saw at Oregon. Um, just be able to run the ball, spread the ball to run it, and then hit those big plays over the top as well. Um, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the quintessential perfect quarterback for him in this offense. Uh, but then let's not, let's not share on this defense. They gave a lot of passing yards through the air. Um, you know, UC, uh, LSU passed for 330 yards. But when you kind of think of UCLA and or Chip Kelly's and you always kind of think of them as soft and, you know, you know, not physical. But like I said, they ran the ball for 210 yards. And then they held LSU to 49 rushing yards on 25 carries, less than two yards a carry. Didn't give up any big plays there. Uh, and then again, just being able to kind of attack this LSU secondary. I thought they were the more physical team. I thought they were just the better team overall. They deserve to win this game. Uh, and I am super high on UCLA going forward. They're probably in the weak. They probably outside of the ACC Coastal. They're probably there in the weakest division uh, in Power Five football in the Pac-12 South. Really, their only competition this year is going to be USC, who they did look good against a, a solid San Jose State team. So taking nothing away from from USC, but we haven't seen them in a big time game yet. We've seen UCLA. Uh, in a big time game and hosting LSU. 
Uh, and my boy, they looked fantastic. It was good to see the Rose Bowl also pretty decently full in that game. Um, I think they had some sections just covered off, but the sections that were open were, were filled with both UCLA and LSU fans. Um, and so you, UCLA for playing in the Rose Bowl, it doesn't feel like they always get a, a huge crowd there, but love to see the fans showing up. The team showed out for them. Uh, and I think with Chip Kelly at the helm, I think this, this program is, is bright going forward. All right, a few other things to touch on. We are running late really quickly, <laughs> but Alabama beats Miami 44 to 13. This is what you expect from Alabama. Um, we even mentioned it kind of in our week one takeaways. They are by, you know, head and shoulders better than the rest of college football right now. We saw it last year. They ran through college football and they even won the national championship game pretty comfortably. Um, Miami maybe is a little bit overrated, but still, um, you know, to, to win this game this comfortably against still a pretty solid team this early in the year with the new offensive coordinator, a brand new QB and Bryce Young is really, really impressive. They looked good. What you expect um, besides that, you know, the SEC didn't play a lot of big games. They got out of some close ones. Mississippi State beats Louisiana Tech 35-34. That's the kind of game you got to win. Um, Vanderbilt losing to ETSU by 20 is really embarrassing. Finally, Florida beat FAU 35-14. And I think Emory Jones was actually replaced in this game by Richards, backup QB, who ended up running for 170 yards to QB who didn't even start the game. So that's kind of impressive to get to rack up that many yards as a QB who didn't even start the game. He also threw three of eight for 40 yards. So that's the thing to keep an eye on. Um, after the game, you know, the coach came out and said that he's not being replaced. You know, he just wanted to see something different here. But this was a Florida team that we expected to take a step back on the offensive end this year. And that's kind of what we saw in this first game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really got nothing coming out of the SEC other than just like you, you kind of touched on earlier, Alabama just head and shoulders above everybody else. They look like a complete team in week one. Uh, and you don't find that very often, but um, anything other than that, I guess. Um, now it feels like a lot of the other games are, they're just playing, you know, really weak opponents, you know, I guess Texas A&M a top, you know, top 10 team um, holding that Kent state offense to 10 points is pretty impressive. That Kent state offense lit up some, some pack, some Mac teams last year. Um, so uh, a good, a good, I think a game that could have been tricky if they weren't ready. Uh, but other than that, and I, I really got nothing from the SEC. Uh, they, they, it's the kind of what they do. They play either big marquee matchups or they play nobodies. So, moving on to the ACC, Louisville and Ole Miss. Once again, they do play to, <clears throat> tonight. Florida State. We touched on that game, barely losing to Notre Dame. Miami gets blown out against Alabama, as we just said. Boston College and Pittsburgh blow out some bad teams in Colgate and Massachusetts. Um, then Syracuse beats Ohio. They were actually underdogs in that game. I want to say so. Good for them for winning that game and winning it comfortably. Northern Illinois beats Georgia Tech. Big win for the MAC there. Bad loss for the ACC. Um, obviously, we've touched on Clemson losing to Georgia. Virginia beats William and Mary, uh, 43 to zero. Virginia Tech takes down North Carolina. We touched on that. Duke loses to Charlotte, another FCS team. I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about FCS and how they went off this weekend. Another big win for the FCS and another you know embarrassing loss for the ACC. Wake Forest beats Old Dominion, NC State beats uh, South Florida. So kind of a story of ACC teams beating up on the FCS besides Duke who lost to Charlotte and all the other big games we kind of touched on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think we kind of touched on all the big games uh, in that conference that, you know, we already kind of mentioned those. So let's move on to the big 12 Kansas state beats Stanford 24 seven Oklahoma squeaks it out against Tulane. Uh, 40-35. Touched on Maryland-West Virginia. Texas beats Louisiana 38-18. 
Iowa State beats Northern Iowa in a close one, 16 to 10. That's a tough game for them. Baylor beats Texas State only by nine points. Um, Oklahoma State barely pulls it out against Missouri State. Like I said, I mean, you know, some of these small teams are going off this weekend. Uh, Texas Tech beats Houston. That's a good win for them, honestly, 38 to 21. Kansas uh, <laughs> pulls it out against an FCS team, South Dakota. Seven the field. Better believe they rushed the field after that. TCU beats Duquesne 45 to three. Um, I'm pretty sure these two teams decided at halftime to play the third and fourth quarter as 10 minute quarters. Um, yeah. It's kind of embarrassing, but also I don't know why it was only 45 to three. I mean, that's not, we've seen worse score lines. So that's an interesting, interesting moment there, but we kind of touched on some of the bigger games, but let's talk about Oklahoma Tulane. Got to mention it considering we haven't really touched a lot on it yet. And um it was a game that looked like Oklahoma there from a minute was pulling away from. They were going to win easy, but Tulane gets back into it. And this is a Tulane team that looks solid in this game. They go for 400 yards on offense, nearly as many as Oklahoma. Um, they had the ball late, a chance to win this game. They looked pretty solid. And I mean, I know it's easy, it's cliche, but this is just that Oklahoma defense that I personally said before the season, everyone wanted to crown them as, you know, this team that's going to be amazing this year. The defense is ready. I think we just saw some decent signs last year. That doesn't mean that they were going to come out and be this amazing defense this year. And there's still plenty of time for them to turn it around. But personally, I always wanted, I kept saying this offseason, show it to me. I want to see it before I believe Oklahoma's defense is there. I mean, against Tulane, a team that was, didn't, wasn't able to practice all week, devastated by this hurricane, 31 point underdogs, you know, a, a group of five team you're at home too, Oklahoma, you're at home. You give up 35 points to that. that. That's just really not acceptable. It's not like Tulane is some amazing group of five team either. They're not Cincinnati. They're not UCF. They're not Boise state. It's Tulane. I mean, they're solid, but you just shouldn't be giving up 35 points, especially with the situation around this with the hurricane and everything. And I'll tell you what, I mean, when you're clunkers, when you're bad games, it's super important. They'll be happy to win this game because if they lose it, it makes their playoff chances a lot, a lot harder, but I just think Oklahoma still is what they've been. I still think this is a team with a defense that isn't great. And honestly, people wanted to crown, just like they wanted to crown this defense, they wanted to crown Spencer Rattler. He looked good in this game, but he was still shaky. He threw for two interceptions. He's still a little shaky. He's still young. I don't think Spencer Rattler is the number one guaranteed best college football uh, quarterback in, in the nation like a lot of people do. And just like that, I didn't necessarily think this defense was going to be great this year. And it's only one game, but this is a defense that still needs to show it to us. Yeah, it's a game where I feel like Oklahoma leading 37 to 14 and a half. I think really just kind of thought the game was over. I think Lincoln Riley even admitted in his post-game press conferences that, um, you know, his team basically came out in the second half feeling like this game was over. Um, but that's poor mentality. He said, you know, that's, I mean, that's just, that's just poor mentality as a football team to come out against, uh, to again, again, come out against anybody and just feel like the game has been won. Uh, and they almost paid the price for it. And, this Oklahoma offense, or just where was it in the second half? I mean, had 37 points in the first half, three in the second half, just a field goal. Um, Spencer Rattler, just as much as he put up big stats in the first half, um, you know, just bad, timely interceptions. Uh, and then they get this offense, just this defense just couldn't, just couldn't get consistent stops against this Tulane team. Now, this Tulane team, um, their, their quarterback is pretty uh, outstanding. Michael Pratt um, threw for, two, for 296 yards and three touchdowns. Um, but again, this is just not what you would be expecting this Oklahoma team with all the hype they came in um, to look like. Now, they got a, a lot to figure it out, um, but they got to work on their mentality. I mean, Tulane had a chance to win this game. They recovered the uh, onside kick down 40 35 uh, and were two, basically a yard and a half away from converting that fourth down and having a chance to win the game. So 
uh, a team that Oklahoma's got a lot to work on. Um, mistakenly shut it down after the first half, but um, that's not an excuse. That's just poor mentality. That's 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 having a bad mental edge um, going into a football game. Kansas State beats Stanford um, twenty-four to seven. Kind of my lock of the weekend. Um, I got it at minus one and a half. Never really understand understood why this game wasn't at least like a touchdown uh, spread for Kansas State because they're just a better football team. I mean, they're better coached. Um, they have better circumstances around their team. They don't have to worry much about academics. They've been really solid the past couple of years um, under their new coach. And Skylar Thompson's a really good QB. I never really understood this line. Um, you know, the game was closer to Kansas State there. Jerry World is going to be always be a better crowd for them. And they came out and kind of what you expected out of this game, it was probably going to be low scoring. And that's what I expected. And I knew Kansas State was probably going to pull it out. And that's kind of what I expected. So, yeah, Kansas State wins the game 24-7. Skylar Thompson, he gets two rushing touchdowns. Looks pretty solid. That's good to see. Um, Kansas State's a team I'm excited for going forward. I think they could could be a problem for some teams in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, um, they look good. Uh, other than us, just, you know, both had Kansas State on the line. Um, nothing really from that game. Interested to see how they look going forward. Iowa State, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I didn't watch this game. Um, I'm just going to benefit of the doubt that they slept walk through this game. But um, really bad, especially on the offensive side. Brees Hall averaging three yards a carry. Brock Yard throwing for less than 200 yards, only 16 points. Just not what you would expect from this offense that returns so many players. Um, they'll obviously have to figure it out because Iowa comes into town next week and Iowa's playing as good as anybody right now after week one. The only thing other is a really good win from Texas. You know, it was a game that I think, you know, a lot of people kind of had that, you know, potential upset alert, Louisiana after the way, you know, they beat Iowa state last year, had a really good season last year. Um, but you and I just kind of felt like Texas wasn't going to overlook Louisiana. They took them seriously. They didn't blow them out. You know, it was only 14, six at halftime, but just really grinded them down. Um, as the game wore on, uh, and a good 20-point win, 20 point win. Um, Steve Sharkeesian's first game as head coach. Um, Hunter Card went 14-21, 224 yards, and two touchdowns. So Hudson Card, excuse me. So um, uh, a really good, I think, game for Texas. Uh, I think a win that, you know, I think it's a great week one win. Wasn't easy. Team had to be dialed in against a top 25 opponent, um, but she looked impressive uh, in, in that win. So Huge win for Texas. Um you know, I mean, they've been losing these season openers for a while now. The past four or five years, they've kind of struggled in these games. We saw them lose back-to-back years against Maryland, struggled in some other games week one. So, I mean, going up against a solid team who was ranked, there was probably kind of a feeling of here we go again with some of those Texas fans. But, nope, Texas showed up. Uh, the true freshman QB, who is expected to be solid, showed up. Um, Steve Sarkeesian, who we know has a good offensive mind, showed up. Um, and, you know, this is a huge, huge win for them. And now uh, they get the reward of following it up against Arkansas on the road. So that's not going to be an easy game, but I'll tell you what, if they go out and win that game on the road um, and are two and oh, that's a really, really solid start to the season. And people will be starting to think Texas is back and that they're going to be really good this year. And I'll be with them. If they can beat Arkansas on the road and look good doing it, I'll be really excited about Texas going forward. So let's move on now to the PAC 12. We obviously mentioned Kansas state being Stanford. We mentioned Oregon uh, squeaking out out against Fresno State. They got to go to Ohio State next week. That's going to be tough. USC beat San Jose State 30 to 7. Good win for them. Uh, but Washington loses to Montana. Oregon State loses to Purdue. Um, UCLA, huge win for the conference, beating LSU 38 27. But Arizona loses to BYU. Nevada beats California. Utah State beats Washington State. Uh, Colorado does beat North Colorado uh, FCS team. Utah does beat Weber State, an FCS team. Um, 
And then, yeah, Arizona State beats Southern Utah on FCS team. So, I mean, if they weren't playing an FCS team this week, it was tough for the Pac-12. And even they lose one of these FCS games with Montana beating Washington. So, man, it was a rough, rough weekend for the Pac-12 besides UCLA winning. And USC actually won by 23 points here in a game they were favored by 14. That's a team I think has a lot of talent. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think the big story of the weekend is that Oregon and Washington – don't look great. Now they have to go on the road to Michigan and Ohio state and UCLA and USC in the pal in, in the South look pretty good. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people were hyping up the PAC 12 North with Washington, Oregon, thinking they were going to be the team, this, the two teams this year, but I know it's just week one, maybe it's an overreaction, but it's kind of looking like USC and UCLA may be the teams. Yeah. It may just be, obviously we'll have to see more going forward. Um, again, this is week one. You can say that about Oregon um, losing or beating Fresno State. Fresno State's a good football team. It's also a team that already played once this year, so they maybe some they kind of had a chance to work out those kinks. Um, and so Oregon was kind of trying to work out those kinks as they're playing a Fresno State team who was coming in kind of already kind of already moving a bit. And so they struggled in this game. They did lead twenty one six, but then Kayvon Thibodeau went out with an ankle injury. Um, it got to twenty four thirteen by our um, to twenty one thirteen by halftime. Uh, and then Fresno State ended up taking the lead in this game, um, 24-21. Uh, but Oregon closed, closed it out with a strong um, fourth quarter. And Anthony Brown with a, with a big touchdown there um, at the, in the, near the end of the fourth quarter um, with two minutes left, uh, a 30-yard touchdown run to give Oregon the go-ahead score and then the win in that game. So, yeah, so Oregon um, just kind of sloppy. Uh, but they do come out against a better opponent, though, and they come out with a win. Uh, but Washington, I mean, this is bad. I mean, Montana, an FCS program, only scoring seven points at home. Uh, it, this is just bad all around. And so and then you got to kind of wake up, you know, go to class this week and then fly out to Michigan. And so um, just really bad performance from them for a team that had aspirations to compete for the for the Pac-12 North. And they still can. Um, but this is just – this is one of those gut-wrenching losses that I think just hangs with you the entire season, losing to Montana. But credit to Montana, obviously. Um, incredible win for them. Yeah, and the back to itself, you talked about UCLA, and then I mentioned USC a little bit earlier. Tennessee, it's a good team. Another one of those teams that had played the week before, so maybe they weren't going to have to go with those early season, those first-game struggles. But um, you, we didn't get to watch it, but the fact that you went 30-7, to seven, um, you know, they looked really good in this game. Uh, quick look at the box score. Um, it's pretty even on yards, uh, but USC winning the turnover battle uh, uh, two to nothing. Well, actually, no, they lost two fumbles. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't know much about this game, but the fact that you win 30 to seven, um, it's a good win. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about UCLA, another good win, too. So those two teams seem to be the favorite in the Pac 12 South. Uh, and maybe the Pac 12 North is a little bit more open than we thought. All right. Cincinnati beats Miami of Ohio 49 14. Good one to start the season for the number eight team in the nation. Um, Marshall beats Navy 49 to seven. Let's go herd. Uh, good win. Good win for the Marshall boys. We'll be down there in Huntington in, in less than two weeks time. That will be a lot of fun. And Boise state uh, loses to UCF uh, on the road, 36, 31, a big comeback for UCF. They were down 21, zero to Boise state early in this game. Um, but Dylan Grabier kind of let him back. He had some rough throws in this game, but let them back to a victory, a huge victory at that, because this is a massive game for both of these teams and, you know, what they're going to be going forward in this year. And, you know, this is kind of going to be the perception of both of these teams, whoever won this game. So big win for UCF. App State beats East Carolina 33-19. Is there any other, um, you know, non-Power 5 games you're looking at? No. You got them. Got them covered. All right. So that was our conference-by-conference conference, uh, review of the weekend. So now we're going to move on to – College football week two, 
Um, we're not going to do a preview show. We'll just mention a little bit about, you know, the, I mean, you see how much time we spend on just reviewing games, previewing games, is a little bit more boring. People don't like to listen to it as much. We probably don't like to talk about it as much if we're being honest. So let's take a look at what will be next week in the top 25 of week two. Um, we've got South coastal Carolina taking on Kansas, obviously Ohio state's at home against Oregon, Florida, South Florida, Notre Dame host Toledo, Penn state host ball state, Cincinnati host Murray state, Texas A&M, Colorado, UAB, Georgia, Alabama, Mercer. They always got to get that FCS game in. Iowa, Iowa State, that's going to be a really good game. Clemson plays an FCS team. Miami, App State, Wisconsin, Eastern Michigan, Louisiana against an FCS team. Oklahoma versus an FCS team. Texas, Arkansas, fun game. North Carolina plays an FCS team. Washington, Michigan, another big game. Indiana, Idaho, LSU, McNeese State. USC, Stanford, Utah, BYU, UNLV, Arizona State. I'll tell you what, the big games um, that people have been looking forward to have been Ohio State and Oregon and um, Washington, Michigan. You know, these have kind of been two games that were on the same weekend that have been scheduled in people's mind for honestly a while to come, probably since the season ended back in January. And I'll tell you what, I mean, Oregon won their game. Ohio State didn't necessarily look amazing in their game, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's not as much hype, obviously, around the Washington game. That game could still be good, but Michigan looked pretty good in their game. Washington loses to an FCS team. Even if the game's good, there won't be as much hype about it because neither of those teams are probably going to be ranked unless Michigan makes a big jump into the rankings this week. And Ohio State-Oregon will probably have a ton of hype, but I won't be surprised if the hype dies down quickly if Ohio State gets out to a big lead. That's So those are two big games, obviously, with uh, Big Ten versus Pac-12 matchups. People have had those games circled for a while. I think Notre Dame taking on Toledo could actually be a solid game. And then the game of the weekend for me is honestly Iowa, Iowa state. Um, Iowa state struggled this weekend against Northern Iowa, but I still think they're a really good team. Obviously we saw what Iowa did this weekend. So that's 4 30 PM on ABC um, kind of a weird time slot, but I am really, really excited for that game. Yeah, that's obviously the, I think the game of the week. Um, Game day will be there. Uh, Iowa traveling to Iowa State. Um, I feel really good about Iowa in this game. I think that they are just – I think their defense has a really good chance to shut down Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State's offense really struggled last week, and so unless they just find the magic gold um, this next week, they're going up against a much better defense in, in Iowa that just shut down Indiana last week. Um, and I think Iowa's got a really strong rushing game. I just – I feel very good about Iowa in this game. So, but it's going to be a really fun game to watch. Um, a good time slot too. I love that. Just four thirty on ABC. Um, it'll be perfect. You can come back from that Oregon game, um, settle in, and have that game on the TV. Um, really, really looking forward to watching that game. There's not as many big time marquee matchups when I'm noticing. Um, obviously, the nightcap is Washington travels to Michigan, but that game's lost a little bit of uh, some of its juice after Washington lost to Montana Week One. Texas goes to Arkansas. I think that can just be a fun, interesting game. Um, you know, Texas coming off that big win against Louisiana, and now they got to go on the road down into the SEC. And we just know that the way crowds have been back, that game, that game is going to be rocking. It's a 7 p.m. kickoff. Uh, we mentioned Iowa, Iowa State. Gosh, there's not a lot of games this weekend. Um, yeah, then Oregon, Oregon State at noon. So good, good slew. Good, um, a little bit lighter, uh, but some a couple games that um, – are potentially very big so yeah I mean I agree this last weekend was packed this weekend not so much I mean there's two games like I mentioned maybe lost I guess Oregon Ohio State hasn't lost really any juice both teams won both teams are going to be highly ranked 
there'll be a lot of hype coming into the game. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I don't know if the hype will necessarily be there at halftime or the third quarter. I think Ohio State might be up big. That's just my prediction for the game. I have a good feelings about Ohio State in this game. I think they'll be able to push around uh, Oregon on, on both ends of the ball in the trenches. And I also just think the talent's there. And I think, I think this year will be rocking. I think Ohio State's going to maybe come out and win that game comfortably. If I'm wrong, I won't be surprised if Oregon can keep it close and, and find a way to make Ohio State struggle on the offensive end. I won't be surprised. But I think that game will end up being a little bit more comfortable than people think. I think that Toledo-Notre Dame game may be closer than people think. Um, and, yeah, I think um, – Iowa-Iowa State, that's the game of the weekend. It'll be interesting to see what we have there. Um, I do have a lock as we do our lock talk here in a couple minutes. But, but yeah, you kind of mentioned I have strong feelings on Iowa in this game. feels very much like a Vegas knows-something line. It scares me, but but we'll see what happens. So you got anything else for the weekend that's coming up? Uh, unless we're doing locks. Nope. Yep. So we are going to move on to our locks. These are, you know, it's early. We're recording this on a Monday. We may have some other things that come out. If so, we'll, we'll post it on our Twitter or obviously we'll mention, you know, how we did on, on next week's episode, how we did this week. So first run us through how uh, both of us are doing through two weekends of college football. Yeah, absolutely. So last week you went five and one against the spread, I believe. Five, one and one. Five, one and one against the spread, following up a three, no week in week one that gets you to plus 620 basis points. Um, you've yet to pick any money lines, um, but that is still open to you as well. So really great start for you. Uh, I went three and two against the spread last week. So building off my three and week from week one um, gets me to five and two against the spread, but I've hit on both of my money line. Obviously I took Illinois to beat um, Nebraska outright. And I took Michigan state to beat Northwestern outright. So those two money line picks also gets me to 620 basis points. So we are both sitting very pretty through two weeks. Uh, we gotta, we gotta give ourselves a pat on the back. Obviously it's important to stay humble and betting, never getting too, um, ambitious, always staying the course. Um, you know, the, the way you lose is you get an inflated ego from some good early performances, but, um, both things following some effective strategies this year, uh, and it's led us to a strong start to the year. So both of us up 620 basis points on the year. My strategy this year, honestly, has just been to, to take locks early in the week because they always move. Um, it's kind of easy to tell when you look at a game, if which way it's going to move doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to tell who's going to win that game, who's going to win that bet. But a lot of times, in my opinion, at least, it's really easy to look at a game and just tell where it's going to move. Um, and, you know, that's kind of my my plan. Get on some of these early lines when they're going to move in a better direction for me towards the end of the week. And also, I've just been kind of trying to look at the slate, look at a game, have a gut reaction to it, take that bet, and run with it. And that's worked so far through two weeks. And, um yeah, so it looks like we're both doing really well. 620 basis points. I don't know what that means, but it sounds it sounds good. <laughs> so if we were, yeah, so just, um, yeah, if we were have gone to Vegas and um, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, I don't think about it. Um, I think it's like if we had gone and bet $10 on every game so far that we've done, um, we'd be walking, we'd each have walked away with $62. So it's solid. I like it. All right, so let's um, now move on to what we have this week. I don't, I don't know how much you have, but I'll start out with my first lock of the weekend. I'm going to take Minnesota minus 20 and a half versus Miami of Ohio. Kind of an easy one for me, man. I mean, Minnesota, all they got to do is win three by three touchdowns. We saw how they looked against Ohio State. I think Tanner Morgan's pretty solid. I think um, this defense will be able to shut down Miami of Ohio pretty easily. 
Um, they look good against Ohio State. They're at home. Um, I was impressed with what I saw from that crowd. I know that they're going to be playing Miami, Ohio. They won't be up for it as much, but it'll still probably be a sellout or close to it. It'll still probably be a rocking crowd. I think they can easily beat Miami of Ohio by three touchdowns. Um, a Miami of Ohio team that just lost to Cincy by I think 40 something points. So it's, you know, kind of an under the radar game, probably not going to be a lot of people betting on this. Um, but it's just kind of one of those lines I looked at and I had a gut reaction to it and I, and I'm taking it. Yeah, that's a, that's a bold one. Um, obviously, you know, Minnesota coming off that, you know, loss needs a rebound win um, with Mohamed Ibrahim out. I worry about how effective that offense could be. Um, I'd want to see if Chris Autumn Bell would be playing in that game before I take that line, um, but I'm not hating on it for sure. Um, it's just not something that I'm uh, prepared to pull immediately. I'm going to go to the big game of the week, uh, mainly because this is right now the only lock I have. Um, I'm going to try to think of a few more as I kind of walk through these games. Um, it's just so hard on a Monday for me. I like to really think these out, but this is something that I'm feeling pretty confident on. I think it's maybe one that you know, we always say, you know, kind of week two, bet against the teams that looked good in week one and bet the teams that look good in week two. But I think sometimes you just got to have to ride the teams that are better. I'm going to take Iowa uh, plus four on the road against Iowa State. I know that Iowa State will be so much more geared up for this game than they were for Northern Iowa. I know that Iowa on the road is not who they are at home, but I think just match up. I think this Iowa team matches up really well with Iowa State. They have a really good defense. Um, they have really good run defense. Iowa State's run offense did nothing to inspire any confidence this past week. Um, and I think Iowa can also run on this Iowa State team. Matt Campbell has yet to beat Kirk Ferentz since he came to Iowa State. I just feel like Iowa is a better, as, as just really good matchup against Iowa State. Um, I don't feel super confident, though, taking the money line. Actually, what do I get on the money line? Now that I think about it, this might be a money line pick for me. I'm going to get this money line up real quick. Um, do you have anything else? Why, why I pull this up? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I might as well add to you on this. I'm also taking Iowa plus four and I love what you said, honestly, about it being, you know, you kind of fade the teams that looked really good and week one is an overreaction and you kind of bet on the teams that didn't look bad and we'll probably get it going in week two. And I mean, you, you assume Iowa state will get it going. Um, you assume Iowa's not going to always win these big games by 30 plus points obviously, but I do think if you're giving me four points, I just think I was the better football team and you're giving me four points. And like you said, there's kind of a mental component to this. Um, you know, Kirk Ferentz always beats Matt Campbell so far through the four or five seasons. I was won that game every time. And it's one of those where it's easy to look at it and see that kind of Vegas knows something line and kind of stress about it um, and kind of overthink it and maybe even take Iowa state. But like I mentioned earlier, my strategy this year and so far through two weeks, it's working. I'm just going to look at a line, get my gut reaction, and maybe sometimes it will work, but I'm going to get – or not work, but I'm going to guess it works more times than it doesn't. My gut reaction here is that Iowa's a better football team. They're going to win this game or at the very least lose it by three points. So give me Iowa plus four. All right, I'm going to switch my bet um, up on you. So this is not going to be a lock agreement. Um, I'm going to take Iowa on the money line plus 170. I just feel like four points isn't a lot. Um, it's very easy where I could, I could just see those games, kind of how I felt with Michigan State, Northwestern, and how I felt about Illinois, Nebraska. It just feels like one of those games where I could see Iowa or seeing the underdog winning, but I could also see the favorite just winning by a touchdown. Um, and so if I'm going to kind of take that bet and kind of go with my gut on Iowa being the better team, I think if they are, they win this game outright. Uh, and if I, so I can get 80 basis points better return, I'm going to take that. So I'm going to switch up my bet, and I'm just going to take Iowa straight on the money line 
The best I can get right now is plus 170. That's better than I got um, on Michigan State uh, last week. I only got them at plus 140. I feel pretty good about those odds, um, considering about how I think Iowa is the, I think they're the better team. So uh, I'm comfortable, uh, not comfortable, but I feel a little bit better about putting my money on the line um, with a little bit better return. Uh, so I'm going to take them on the money line plus 170. Yeah, 170 is really high, so can't blame you there. But I think it will be a close game, so I like having those four points. So I'll keep it in the bet in ATS and not money lines has worked so far. So until that stops working, then I'll probably stay away from money lines for the moment. Um, after that, I got three more. I've got, let's see here, um, Rutgers minus two at Syracuse. Kind of another random line, but I mean, look, Rutgers is just a better football team. We just saw them beat Temple comfortably. Yes, Syracuse looked good against Ohio, one by 20 points. That was kind of a big win for them, considering they were even one-point underdogs in that game. But I still just don't believe in Syracuse. I don't really believe in Dino Babers. I don't think that's a good football team or program, really. Um, I think Rutgers is rebuilding um, their football program from the ground with Greg Schiano. I think he's kind of got things rolling, a really good week one. And these are the kind of games you got to win when you're Rutgers if you want to get to four or five, even six wins. So they're going to be hyped up for this game. It's going to be one of their bigger games of the season. I think they'll be ready for it. I think they easily win by three or more points. So give me Rutgers as two-point favorites against Syracuse. Um, Obviously got to take Air Force versus Navy under 43.5. Service Academy unders. It's a principal on this show. Um, Yeah. I mean, and we saw what Navy did last last week. They were only able to score seven points against Marshall. Um, I don't know what Air Force is, honestly, but it's Service Academy under. It's just kind of a principle, so I'm going to take it. Um, and, and then finally, I got Buffalo plus 12 at Nebraska. Not only should Nebraska not be favored against any team in FBS football, maybe even FCS and FBS football by 12 points, but Buffalo is also a good team. So, I mean, I don't know. This is just kind of a gut reaction. I looked at this line. I thought it would be closer to seven. You're giving me 12 points, nearly two touchdowns for a Buffalo team. That's really solid Um, playing Nebraska. Who's really down on themselves right now. I love that line. So Buffalo plus 12 at Nebraska lock of the century. All right. I like it. Lock of the century. A lot of conviction behind that one. Um, I might be joining on that one later in the week. Um, We're going to see which way that one moves. Um, I'm going to have two more. I'm going to lock up with, I'm going to do a lock agreement Mm -hmm. on the army air force game principal service academy you bet the under you bet it every time um you don't waver from it even if you lose you bet it again the next time it just has consistently shown um that it's a safe bet going forward and then i'm gonna go to texas arkansas you know texas looked pretty solid on offense last week but it's still a freshman quarterback a true freshman quarterback it's gonna be for his first game going on the road to arkansas this number just seems high to me unless there's something i'm missing uh this total right now is sitting at 57 so you're thinking about a, a kind of maybe a 30, 27 type of game. I don't, I don't see these teams, both these teams getting kind of close to 30. Even last week, um, Arkansas's offense against Rice only put up 31 points. I think Texas obviously has a better defense than Rice. Texas, yeah, they put up, you know, 38 points at home, but that was at home against Louisiana. I think this is also just, this is a night game, the classic, you know, big game unders where two teams are playing at night. They kind of play conservative. Um, you know, Arkansas, I think is going to play ball possession. That's just kind of the way they play under their new head coach. 57 just seems too high for me. That's a number that just popped out right in my kind of right in front of me. That's wow. That just seems way too high. So I'm going to take the under 57 in our, in Arkansas versus Texas. And that's it. That's all I got so far. I, this is going to be a light week for me. Um, purely because 
Um, I don't like betting these games where it's like minus 24, minus 37. There's just too much variability in those lines. I actually bet kind of the bigger games, but I think a lot of times it's just those bigger games are, they're a little bit easier to understand. Um, you know, you can kind of have a better feel on two teams. because they're two teams you've watched a lot. Um, and also uh, those teams are playing hard for four quarters, I think, which makes it a little bit easier to get the spread than when you maybe have backups in a game in the third quarter. So um, this will be a lighter week for me. Try not to get too ahead of myself, trying to stay the course, um, only go with games that I feel real conviction about. Uh, and those are three that I feel really good conviction about. Iowa plus 170 on the money line, Air Force, Army under, Texas, Arkansas under. I like that Texas pick. I, I agree. Arkansas is a good defense. They hold teams to low scoring, low scoring games. I think that that is a pretty high number. Um, it's not like Arkansas is going to score a lot of points either. I, I can see that being a low scoring game. I kind of like Arkansas plus six in that game. I have a sneaky feeling that might get to plus seven by the end of the week. So I think I'll take it there if we, if we can get it to there. So, so we'll see, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was a fun podcast. I'm running over a little out, a little more than an hour and a half here, but, but yeah. Um, anything else to add? I got nothing to add. Um, obviously going to be just another week of college football, you know, adding it in with, you know, NFL on Sunday, the first week of NFL football, we got the Browns. So I'm um, just really excited uh, for this upcoming weekend. Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. We're going to have another slate of college football. Not as good as last weekend, but it will still be fun. And it's college football. You never know. Um, it's always the – they always say it's the weekends you don't expect that end up being the best weekends where you – especially the way the college football is this year. A lot of these big teams are not super strong, I feel like, this year. Not a lot of returning QBs, not a lot of big names returning. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of close games. I mean, we saw this week with Oklahoma and Tulane and and uh, some other schools. So, um, you know, we saw Georgia and Clemson didn't look super strong. So I think there'll be some closer games than we expect this year on these weekends that don't look super great. But, but yeah, I think NFL, college football this weekend, it's going to be awesome. Excited for Ohio State, excited for the Browns. And, yeah, I- I'm really ready for uh, these next couple months. Me too. All right, that will do it for our week one review, week two preview. Obviously, we'll be back early next week with a week two review and a week three preview, but thanks for listening. That will do it for two guys, one mic.